I V M. BQ Big Decisions, the Bloomberg Quint podcast that helps you make the right financial choices. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is BQ Big Decisions. Here's something to consider. If you want to buy something, say a smartphone, how do you go about doing it? First, you look up the specifications online, and once you've convinced yourself about the model you want to buy, you then look at the price. But you don't simply buy it in the first instance. In all probability, you look at the price listed on multiple websites, and then you also do a comparison with the price in stores near you before you finally make the purchase. It might seem obvious, but you'd obviously want to get the best deal available on your purchase. The thing is, the same principle holds true when you're buying mutual fund schemes too. There is a cost involved, usually measured in terms of a TER or total expense ratio. And that ratio depends not just on the type of scheme that you're buying, but also whether you're buying a direct option or a regular one. This is BQ Big Decisions and I'm Alex Matthew. On this podcast, we're going to be discussing the difference between the regular and direct options of the same mutual fund scheme and also the various considerations you have to take into account when you're choosing a scheme yourself. My guest today is Arvind Rao, Certified Financial Planner and SEBI Registered Investment Advisor. Thank you so much for joining me, Arvind. It's my pleasure, Alex. I must confess, Arvind, that the first time that I heard about direct and regular options for the same mutual fund scheme, mm-hmm. I was a little confused. But let's get into the details, right? What is this difference and why is it so important to know about? Uh, in fact, um, I'll go back to your uh, the start example that you began this conversation with was buying a smartphone. Now, there were days when we were so used to traveling to the local store and checking out various phones and then buying it. You touch, feel it and then you buy it. So that was the regular way of how you bought the smartphones. Mm -hmm. And then came the online marketplace where you now see these uh, smartphones and then you make a choice. Uh, Likewise, uh, when it comes to mutual funds, basically direct and regular plans are basically two routes to buying the same fund. Okay. So, um, uh, any fund that you may take today, if you were to look up for its NAV online, mm. you net, will find that... Uh, NAV is the, obviously net asset value. Net asset value, yeah. yes. So you'll find it giving two variants, which is the regular option and the direct option. Mm-hmm. Now, every other attribute of the fund, mm. ranging from the fund manager, from the uh, the way the fund is managed, mm. the style of management, mm. the, the sector that it is in, everything else remains the same. Mm. The only difference between these two plans is whether you are engaged with an advisor mm. uh, or not. Okay. So if you are, uh, if an advisor is advising you on a certain fund and is helping you execute mm. it, mm. Uh, he will get the fund executed via the regular plan. Okay. And uh, in case you are um, someone who has got the advice and says that I will go ahead and execute it on my own, mm. uh, then you uh, direct plan is an opportunity given to you mm. wherein you can buy the fund and not pay any charges to the advisor. Understood. So it means that the 
NAV hmm. for both the plans are basically uh, different to the extent of the commissions hmm. that are paid to an advisor. Okay, so let's let's get this straight. Uh, you're talking about a single product that is same in all respects, in terms of and and we're talking about a mutual fund scheme. So the fund manager is the same, the portfolio is the same, the style of management is the same. The only difference is in one you are paying for the advice right. uh, that you're getting in order to choose that particular scheme, and the other it's assumed that you've already paid for the advice a fixed amount of money, or you're making your own or you're doing your own research and you're right. picking up the fund right. yourself. Right. right. It doesn't, I mean, uh, luckily, when you choose to invest in a direct plan, it is not going to ask you these questions. Yes. It is assumed that you have made your groundwork and you're ready to invest in this. All right. So, so it's essentially a, a cost that you're paying for the advice. We've established that. But let's get a little bit more into the detail of this total expense ratio. If we can splice it up yes. so that we can better understand what we're paying. Yes. So um, let's quickly look at some brief elements. So uh, one major element of the total expense ratio is the FMC, which mm. stands for the fund management charges okay. that are paid to the uh, AMC for actually doing the whole fund management. Mm. Then you have the typical uh, the charges that are paid to custodians and their registrars. Registrars are, uh, if you remember uh, seeing the envelopes of CAMs coming mm. to your place or CARVI, yes. these are the registrars who manage the day-to-day -day working uh, on the back end of mm. the funds. Mm. So they need charges as well. Yes. Uh, these are the main two charges. Mm. Uh, other than this, generally is the uh, advisor's charges. So that's the brokerage that you're paying. The brokerage of. or commission as it is uh, differently called. Mm. Uh, these are like the typical charges that comprise the total expense ratio. Mm. And of course, not to forget that uh, uh, each fund also advertises regarding its funds. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of selling and marketing expenses also yes. that are debited and is a and is forms part of the TER. Mm. So the difference between the TER on a direct and a regular plan would be this uh, brokerage. The advisor's portion. commission. How much is the difference broadly? And I, I understand that the regulator has come in on several instances and uh, tried to bring this gap uh, down. There's a significant gap or there was a significant gap that's reduced to a certain extent. Uh, actually, this is the right moment to also um, enlighten our uh, listeners in terms of since when is this direct plans actually available to them. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think from 2013 is when SEBI mandated that every fund has to keep a direct option open. Yes. So it's almost uh, six years now. Mm. Uh, during these six years, SEBI has also actively been working on um, uh, making funds cut down on their TER. Yes. So... Uh, I will say that uh, not only has the TER come down from 2013 to 2019 mm -hmm. and along with it, obviously the commissions have also come down. Yes. So uh, if you were to look at uh, the differential of NAVs mm. uh, between a direct and regular plan that has been happening since 2013, mm -hmm. the difference seems quite wide. Okay. But if if the same were to be done now prospectively mm. when the trs have actually come down mm. that gap has slightly reduced 
Okay. So um, I think if one were to do a forecasting today, that difference boils down to around 0.6 to 0.8 percentage points yeah. per annum. Mm, okay. Can we illustrate this? So in a very simple example, if we to talk about this, if yeah. you say that you buy, say, 1000 rupees worth of a, a mutual fund mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. okay, and you intend to hold it for at least a year, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. Um, how do you calculate uh, the total expense ratio, assuming that you buy both options? So you spend 1000 rupees on a direct and 1000 rupees on a regular uh, okay so here i'd like to highlight one more point hmm. that uh, the ter is something that is calculated on a daily basis okay and is incorporated into the day end nav okay. by each fund understood so it's not that there is a particular record date on which suddenly you will see the nav dropping yes. and the fund says that we have debited the ter okay so this happens on a daily basis that the costs are absorbed mm. and uh, uh, so virtually when you were to do a point to point calculation for the sake of your returns mm. Is when you will, uh, uh, I mean, obviously the fund keeps publishing its TR regularly. Yes. Uh, so in this example, if you buy a thousand rupees worth of investments mm. at the end of year one, mm. um, if the NAV increase has been, let's say, uh, 15%. Yes. Uh, again, when I say 15%, this is based on the NAV. So mm. it automatically captures the TER. Okay. Uh, so it is possible that the actual growth might have been say a 165 mm. But what you see by way of growth in the NAV is only 15% okay. because the one and a half percentage has been deducted all around the year mm. on account of the NAV. Okay. So, so by your example, what you're essentially saying, oh, let, let me amend that slightly to, yeah. to better understand this. Let's assume that the growth, and mm. we're not talking about NAV, but mm. we're talking about the portfolio mm. is 15%. So that is the total return. Mm. What you see mm. uh, in a direct option is uh, the return minus the expense ratio, which right. let's assume is 1%. Okay. So you would therefore see uh, a return of 14%. Correct. In a regular option, it would be a little steeper. You, by your uh, example, about six maybe it would be like at around 13.5 understood around understood so that's basically the difference so assuming that you're holding for a longer period of time um, and you're building your portfolio obviously as a percentage of your nav yes the cost would increase significantly the magic of compounding so every uh, 60 pesa or 50 pesa save Mm. per uh, uh, 100 rupees Mm will obviously add to the compounding as well. Equally, and this is obviously the way you look at it, either glass half full or glass half empty. Yes. Equally, your cost would be substantially higher if you were to go for the regular option. Yes. All right, Arvind. So we've talked about the differences between the direct and the regular scheme hmm. for essentially the same mutual fund scheme. Right. And we've established that direct usually has a lower cost. So assume that somebody is going for a direct option. Hmm. Uh, We're either assuming here that the individual or my listener is going to take advice from somebody or is doing their research themselves and making the choice. Now, if you are making that choice, it's not the easiest choice, I must say, because there are several options available uh, within equity, debt, how do you choose the right mutual fund scheme sometimes is as difficult as choosing the right stock from out of over 500, right? Right. So how does one go about doing that? So Alex, let me start by correcting your question here. Mm. Uh, I would like to say that no investor Mm. will 
ever get the right mutual fund mm. with or without an advisor why do i say that is alex let me ask you how many things in life do we actually get right i'd like to say that i choose the right clothes every day at least okay <laughs> but you know it's always like people who are in great jobs feel that you know what maybe i should have been in business mm. when it comes to kids your kids must be in the icse or the cbse and you feel that maybe i should have put him or her in the international <laughs> school right okay so so what do you let, let me not even try to get into the argument about life partners here uh-huh. so <laughs> what you're trying to say is that there's always a better option and then therefore in my uh, my statement about my clothes i could always wear versace if i could afford it you right good i'm i'm sure somewhere in your mind you must be feeling that oh this one is wearing something better maybe i could have got that <laughs> so okay. i think the right question here should be how to select a suitable mutual fund mm. um, okay. more uh, than the right one so if you talk about suitability yeah uh, suitability will always require a parameter to begin with okay so uh, in case of uh, selecting a suitable mutual fund we'll have to go back to the first question for an investor which is what is your purpose or objective behind this investment okay once you're clear with it what you need to then check is whether your objective matches with the objective with of uh, that particular fund so for example uh, somebody says my objective is that i want my money to grow by at least um say 15% over the next 8 years mm. and then if the person goes and chooses a debt fund then whose objective clearly states that there is to invest in debt securities with an investment horizon of 3 months to 6 months mm. this is definitely not a mismatch the, there right. is a mismatch right yes. so and and this first 15% the objective actually is derived from your goal which of course we've discussed yes. in earlier yes. in in an in earlier instance of this very podcast Correct. where we've said that first identify your goal so assume here and just going by example 8 hmm. years obviously means that i have a distinct uh, goal that hmm. i'm working towards say buying a house say hmm. uh, if it's beyond 8 years maybe even retirement hmm. uh, or something like that hmm. and uh, you, you've got a target in terms of what you need at that point of time and hmm. how much you have in terms of investable surplus right now Correct. you're putting a certain amount of money uh, away uh, the best growth option in this situation would obviously be an equity fund correct so how about we do this we talk about equity funds and we talk about debt funds separately okay let's first talk about equity funds mm-hmm. right if you're choosing an equity fund what are the different parameters that you need to bear in mind if you're going for the direct option so i think for the sake of this the direct or the regular doesn't matter okay. we are just talking about selecting sure. an equity sure. fund so the second thing would be um once you know your purpose obviously the tenure comes along with it yes and this is very 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 relevant for selecting an equity fund mm-hmm. uh, now for example we talk we talked about uh, investing for long term goals mm-hmm. now let's let's say uh, somebody is trying to save for the child's education uh, which is like another 12 years away yes so i here would like to then select a fund which has at least 12 years of existence already mm-hmm. so that i can see what has been its return over this 12 year period okay and 12 years has been long enough to cover the 2008s the 2000 uh, the uh, fall of 2008 the rise in 2007 the 
plateauing in 2010 everything yeah so how has this fund performed in the last 12 years mm. will actually reflect uh, will help it, me to reflect that if today is my goal was maturing how would this fund have performed okay so that will give me the confidence to stay invested in that fund for the next 12 years mm. having mm. seen how it has performed fair enough okay at the same time one would like to see what what is the what has been the consistency in the performance of this equity fund okay. over the last few market cycles and how do you benchmark that one is uh, returns okay but returns can't be the sole factor mm. uh, because uh, i mean let let me take today's uh, scenario is the perfect time to talk about it because you suddenly find sensex at a lifetime at high. a lifetime high and the irony of the situation is when one looks at one's portfolio the portfolio doesn't see hitting lifetime highs mm. so it makes you wonder then where are you going wrong yeah so i don't think portfolios are going wrong mm. it is just that a few sensex stocks are leading the race yes so at this point it is wrong to then say that maybe my fund selections or maybe my stocks that have selected are not right it's just the prevailing scenario it's just the prevailing scenario Which, so to add to your point mid caps are at least 20% away from all time highs right uh yes i think the one time uh, one year uh, returns are definitely uh, much lower mm. small caps are much much lower yes so so basically what we've seen over the last year is the outperformance of a cluster Select of stocks few which have actually stocks. pushed the benchmark significantly higher. Yes, yes. All right, that's an aside from what we were talking about, but yeah. uh, basically what you have to do is uh, benchmark your returns, returns but not necessarily in all situations. So how do you yes, go about exactly. doing? Yes, exactly. So when we uh, this is why I took up this topic of historic returns. Yeah. So at this point, a lot of funds may be showing their historic returns at a low thing because it's not in the best of condition. Mm. So you need to factor these things in and still go to the next step. Uh, other factor would be to see the its expense ratio of the fund yeah. um so uh, i'm not trying to say that one should look at the least uh, cost funds because um, uh, as the fund size grows obviously the expense ratio would also grow mm. so as long as it is within reasonable limits it mm. should be workable what, what do you think is reasonable limits uh, i think the weight goes 1 and 1/2 anywhere between 1 and 1/2 to 2 percentage points seems to be within reasonable limits okay so for, uh, most equity funds should be there for an actively managed for fund. an actively managed fund yes. of course uh, the other factor would be to go and ch- uh, profile about the fund manager and his or her association with the fund has been how long mm. if the fund manager has been frequently uh, being churned mm. or mm. changed it may not be very healthy for a fund because yeah. you don't really get to see uh, their fund management style uh, and the flavor of it hmm. so the longer that a fund manager has been associated uh, you will feel more comfortable with uh, the fund hmm. would you also recommend migrating with the fund manager that you you uh, are comfortable with so for example if you and, and i've heard this advice out there you actually buy a fund also based on the reputation of the fund manager but if the fund manager changes therefore you should perhaps consider shifting along with him or her so i think this this is a this this is a this is a decision that has to be taken specifically mm. like there have been star fund managers mm. uh, and who have moved on and you know uh, moved on to do something on their own as well yes so um, i have also seen investors who have changed mm. but um, 
आई थिंक माई एडवाइस हेयर वुड जनरली बी की गिव द फंड समाइम पोस्ट दिट टू सी वेदर इट वॉज रियली दी फंड मैनेजर्स इफेक्ट और डज दी फंड स्टिल हैव प्रोसेसिस विच हैव डिलीवर्ड रिटर्न श्योर बिकॉज If the fund is still able to deliver returns mm. without its star fund manager, you may not necessarily move. Need that change, yes. and there's no guarantee because I, I think one of my favorite sayings, Arvind, is the wind. The wisdom of retrospect is flawless. So you can actually look back at the last five years and say, "Oh man, I wish I had chosen that fund manager or the other." But then it's easy to say that. It's not as easy to say I, I'm choosing. which i think goes back to your earlier point there is no right choice yes you got to make the best a choice from various yes. options available yes yes okay so having said that we've talked about a few things that you need to bear in mind are for there any e- other things that you would say? i think these should be the broad guiding factors for equity funds hmm. uh, let's move to the debt fund sure. category sure uh, debt funds uh, again here uh, it will start with the time horizon that you're looking to stay invested okay. because uh, uh, debt funds have Uh, like a variety of types mm. which is suited to be uh, invested for periods ranging from 7 days mm. right up to 7 years okay so uh, when it when it is about very short term or liquid investments mm. um, what you all need to check is the maturity of the papers that the fund holds mm. um because in the recent past when the credit risk and kind of unraveled mm. um, many funds were found to be holding papers for longer maturities than what the stated objective was sure so this is i think one check that an investor should uh, try to have so you'd go through the portfolio of uh, bonds Uh, or uh, money market instruments that a particular fund is ho- or scheme is holding and you check the maturity the average maturity of uh, these these uh, instruments i think uh, the way the uh, disclosures happen one mm. may not be able to look into the entire portfolio but sure. at least it shows the top 10 or top 15 holdings sure. Sure. which should kind of give us a brief uh, uh, headway into where we are getting into so the first selection according to you would be uh, by when do you need the funds yes um, and and decide the tenure based on that yes uh, the second obviously i would assume would depend on the kind of credit risk involved right right so i mean the longer the maturity you may uh, want to take some risk onto your debt as well sure so then it boils down to whether you want to take the uh, risk that is involved Uh, with interest rates or mm. the risk that is involved with the nature of companies that you are getting invested with if you don't want to go with the company risk mm. then government securities or gilt funds yes as they are called is where you could play the interest rate cycle mm. uh, so there are a lot of gilt funds that are available one sure. can make that choice sure. and but if you want to take the corporate uh, uh, risks as well so meaning a uh, lot of corporates Uh, offer higher rates of return on sure. their paper but it kind of is risky so then you have these credit risk funds hmm. uh, which diversify their holdings into uh, i think mid-size corporates i think well. let's spend just a minute talking about these credit risk funds because i don't think enough people who delve into it or venture into it understand hmm. completely what the risk is there are several Correct. instances over the past year where yes. people have gone wrong with their selections yes. where you had companies that were 
rated highly that actually uh, well mm. didn't didn't uh, honor their uh, the repayments yeah. uh, yes. so so be very careful is really the thing that you need to bear in mind when you're going for credit risk and credit there, risk. Yes. therein lies in the name itself is is what you have to pay attention to right it's credit risk it's not something people think about debt and think that oh i'm assured a return absolutely but that's not necessarily the case uh, in fact since you mentioned this uh, i would like to add one more point here since you spoke about guilt funds yes now although these are government security funds mm. but again if you are caught on the wrong end of the interest rate cycle yes expect these funds also to give you negative returns yeah. which is something uh, people may not expect because they say oh these are government securities completely risk free so very simple thumb rule to follow is that in a situation where and this is a broad uh, assessment of course yes. in a situation where if you've hold, held for about 5 years time hmm. and through that 5 year period your bond uh, yields have moved lower hmm. okay so basically the monetary policy is tending towards uh, easy money correct, correct. you would have a situation where your bond portfolio actually goes up Correct. because bond yields and prices are inversely proportional but on the other side suppose you've been caught like you said on the wrong end of the uh, the interest rate cycle right. when you have a situation where if i'm not mistaken around 2013 was when the uh, the yes. monetary policy turned yes. and you had a situation where interest rates went up significantly that was this one meeting where it was widely anticipated that the rate would be cut yeah. and on the contrary the rate was Uh, increase yes and these nevs had gone for a spin yes. and that, that was a jolt for people because there were no precedents yes. for debt funds to go negative yes so 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 that's clearly something that you have to bear in mind so yes. like you mentioned and to wrap things up on the debt side yes be aware of uh, the interest rate risk which, yes. which would be to broadly understand where monetary policy is heading yes uh, and also beyond that if you want to take a little more risk you can venture into corporate bond uh, or, or funds that hold corporate, corporate bonds, bonds but also be aware of the kind of companies uh, whose paper these mutual fund schemes are holding correct okay so that broadly covers the how of it yes let's uh, wrap this conversation up hmm. when we're talking about the direct option and the regular option hmm. um and while you're saying that uh, it is i think you would say that it's a comfort of the in, the investor or the, in in my case my listener hmm. as to where the choice lies right are there any other factors that you would consider important when you're making that distinction between direct and regular um i just like to highlight some um, subtle aspects of going by the direct plan which yeah. uh, a person proposing to get into direct should have it in mind mm. which is that um, fund selection is one and then executing your selection is the second um step in the process mm. which involves like maybe uh, doing it online versus doing it via paperwork uh there could be certain uh, errors in your paperwork which needs to be rectified mm. compiling tax records keeping paperwork making asking for statements as and when required mm. these are few things which the investor should be prepared to go on his own mm. if he's the if he's going by the direct way sure uh because obviously minor, uh, without an uh, intermediary involved in between he or she would be left to do all this on their own sure so 
uh, a little time is something that they should be willing to um, devote devote yeah. in order to uh, reap the benefits of this cost saving having said that uh, when you're buying a direct and we must make this point here usually mm-hmm. uh, the expectation is that you're going to go on to this website of the mutual fund house and make your selection mm. and thereby go by the direct route but there are also several applications out there yes. that allow you to buy a basket of mutual fund schemes that are also direct in nature correct correct so so to that extent your work is reducing somewhat mm. by the digital route uh, that is now available to buy mutual fund schemes which is right that is they facilitate at the point of buying mm. but again whether there is facilitation in terms of the follow ups required sure. post buying is something sure. i'm not very sure of sure. as we speak all right arvind i think that broadly covers the whole concept of direct versus regular and the various factors that you have to pay attention to when you're choosing a fund thank you so much for helping us out on this conversation welcome alex well dear listener that's all we have for you in this edition of pq big decisions i hope that this helped you out Do let us know what you think on any one of our social media platforms and watch the space for a lot more. Thanks for listening. This is Alex Matthews signing off. Have a great weekend. If you enjoyed Big Decisions, check out some other podcasts on the IVM Podcast Network. You can check out Pesa Vesa hosted by Anupam Gupta, Advertising is Dead hosted by Varun Dugirala, The Ronnie Screwwala Podcast hosted by Ronnie Screwwala or Cyrus Says hosted by Cyrus Procha. These shows are available on the IVM Podcast website, app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, this is Shridharditya. And I'm Amit Doshi. And we host Shunya One. It's a really fun podcast where we talk to some of the best entrepreneurs in the country. Yes, talking about everything from their startup challenges to what they're building and all the future of technology right here. So catch us on the IVM Podcast website, app, or wherever you listen to your podcast from. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you're stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune in to Know Your Kanoon with me, Amar Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from.